Hey, Bankless Nation. It is the second week of September and it's roll-up time. How are you doing, David? Pretty good, Ryan. Ready to get into the weekly roll-up. Again, so much happened this last week. The crypto world only gets crazier and crazier. Got celebrities getting into crypto. We had a flash crash. NFTs continue to do NFT thing. Uh, so we got to go ahead and get right into it and roll all of this up. David, did you uh, get some gray hairs from that flash crash, man? It's like, it's like an instant 25% down. Uh, did that... Uh, cause any pain nah no we, we were we were on we were on a call while it happened i was like hey ryan look at the uh look look at the eth price and you were like what what, what was it at is that what and i said oh it's at three thousand you go oh wow three thousand is really doing well I'm like no 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 no, dude not four thousand three thousand yeah for I was some like, reason oh, I wow, thought oh crap okay yeah but and then we popped like, right back up i was also not bothered by that anyway this is crypto this is what you come to expect mm -hmm. and this is definitely what you come to expect in the roll-ups we get you the entire week that was crypto all packed into markets news some hot takes meme of the week we're about to get into it, but before we do, David, we got to tell them about So Rare. Yeah, So Rare, fantasy football on Ethereum, where you can actually pick out your team and create uh, a fantasy sports, but using the NFTs on Ethereum. So you can even create your lineups, you create, yeah, select a captain, you get points based on real life performances as one does with fantasy sports. Uh, and you can even get weekly prizes by playing fantasy football with So Rare. What's super cool is these are all NFTs, right? And they're all layer two NFTs. So that means like bye-bye gas fees, no gas fees on this. Um, so we're just let us know too that uh, La Liga, which is one of the top um, five world football leagues, just signed a major long-term NFT partnership with them. That just happened this week. If you are a soccer fan, if you're a football fan, you know that is absolutely massive news. Uh, that includes both of their leagues, their first division, uh, La Liga Santander and also La Liga Smart Bank. That was super cool. And I didn't know this, David, but uh, So Rare already has half a million registered users. They've sold over $130 million worth of NFTs since January. So this is absolutely exploding. And it's no wonder, right? Like you could see it coming. We've got sports over here, fantasy sports. We've got NFTs over here, match made in heaven. Mm -hmm. You add some, some layer two, so low gas fees, and you've got a, a platform that is expanding and growing. So Bankless Nation, if you are interested in this, go check them out at SoRare.com. We'll include a link in the show notes. That's S-O-R-A-R-E.com. Go check it out. Just right. further proving that NFTs are how Ethereum markets itself to the rest of the world. So thanks to SoRare for sponsoring this Bankless Blitz. Totally true. Okay, David, we should get to the markets. What's happening in Bitcoin land? Yeah, Bitcoin started the week at $46,000, got down to the low of 45250 got up to the high of 52700 and then back down to where it is currently at $47,000. So overall down 3.5% on the week. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, you're muted, Ryan. But yeah, that is a straight line down from 52,000 down to 47,000. It all happened within like two hours, it looks like. Yeah, I was just saying, it looks like an elevator all the way down. <laughs> that happened on Tuesday, was it, right? Like Correct, Tuesday yeah. morning. Uh -huh. Okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all a blur. Uh, same thing happened with ETH price, right? We see that elevator down effect. So where did we start? Where did we end on the week? Yeah, it started at 3,760, uh, hit a high of 3,975, and then found a low at 3,300. And we are currently clocking in at $3,520. Overall down 6.5% on the week. 
okay, what's our ratio looking like? The ETH to Bitcoin ratio, which we monitor uh, on a weekly basis is, are we up or are we down? We're a, a little bit down, but not by much. I believe we started the week at uh, 0.7877, and now we are clocking in at point, excuse me, 0 0.078, I think is the, the high that we also started the week at. And then we are at 0 0.075, so down 3.4% on the week. Let's explore this flash crash a little bit. That's what they're calling it, a flash mm -hmm. crash, of course. This is Larry Cermak. He said, more than 2.6 billion worth of positions were liquidated in the last hour. Looks like there was a lot of leverage clean out, and that was over 1.1 billion in Bitcoin leverage flushed down the toilet, $700 million worth of ETH. Larry says, if you ask me, perfectly healthy, leverage flush. Uh, funding rates on alts were spiking too much. He says, what's your take on this? Was just this just leverage getting flushed out of the market? Do we need to detox ourselves? It's always like this? leverage, dude. It's always yeah. <laughs> leverage. Like everyone gets really scared when like like some sometimes the crypto markets just like cut off like you know, fifteen percent of the total market cap in like, you know, like five blocks, right? Like fifteen yep. minutes, right? And like and everyone, like all, all my normie friends, everyone asks like, what caused the market crash? Was it a whale that dumped? Like, no, the answer is always leverage. It's, it has been leveraged every single time. It will continue to be leveraged. When you see these extremely violent rapid moves and it looks like the, the whole entire industry is going to zero for a brief moment and everyone gets spooked, it's always leveraged. People got too leveraged, then they, they, they levered up way too much. Then the market moved in a you know modest degree to the downside, which caused some people to get liquidated. Cascading liquidation. Caused baby. liquidations, which caused liquidations, and then it bottoms out at some point in time. And overall, like as far as a like uh, cascading liquidations event, this one was pretty modest. Uh, this one was pretty yeah. modest. It's it's funny because so I tweeted out uh, not long after this, David. Quick, everybody, go look for an unrelated news event <laughs> yeah. to blame this flash crash on because I think that's what always happened. Mm -hmm. What was interesting about Tuesday was. There's nothing really going on right. in the news. So uh, crypto media and like wider media couldn't attach any mm -hmm. event to this thing. Mm -hmm. I think if it happened maybe like Wednesday or Thursday, they would have blamed it on the SEC right. uh, news with Coinbase. But mm -hmm. of course, this happened before that. So sometimes these things just happen, as David right. says. It's like It's just leverage flushing its way out of the system. One take for you. I, I want to ask you a question. I, I, I saw a Reddit post. Somebody said, this is why crypto will never be mainstream. It's because you can get it like uh, an instant 10, 15, right. 20% uh, drop in, mm -hmm. in terms of price. What's your take on that? Yeah. So the, the reason why crypto always gets like these leverage flushes is because people keep on leveraging up because people are so incredibly bullish. They're like, oh, I'm, I, I missed out. I need to grab more. So I'm going to go on leverage. And so it's really just like there's an, the, everyone in crypto is bullish. So they're always leveraging up. And like if everyone in this industry is bullish, like... That is a mainstreaming phenomenon. Like all, all, all people in the crypto markets are bullish. And that's why we this whole entire industry is proponent towards leverage. And so when someone comes and says like, this is why crypto will never be mainstream. The reason why this happens is because everyone in crypto understands that we are going mainstream, right? Like that's why we're all leveraging up all the time. I also feel like uh, what's going to happen is actually volatility is going to become normalized. Yes, right? yes. I think people I are just that. going to get used to it, Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? Just like, yeah, a mm -hmm. 10, 20% day, whatever. Mm -hmm. As soon as we cre start creating tokens out of everything and then markets out of all of the tokens we just created, mm -hmm. we're going to have spikes in volatility like this mm -hmm. and it will become just part of the daily 
thing that happens. This mm -hmm. is not the S&P 500 folks. Right. We don't have a Fed backing these assets and a plunge protection team that's going to come out and make sure everything's right. like super stabilized. Mm -hmm. We live in a real wild free market. Right. So we're not, this volatility is not going away. I think people just get used to it. Yeah. I mean, this is a different subject, maybe not for the weekly roll up, but I also think that like volatility, volatility is going towards the traditional markets as well. I think uh, crypto is just a sign of things to come. And also volatility, if you can handle your volatility, you are anti-fragile, right? Yes. It's, it's the markets that can't handle anti that, that can't handle volatility are the ones that break. Uh, and so this is why like crypto is a great foundation because we are born inside of like volatility. Like we are birthed inside of it. It's like that Bane meme. Like we understand volatility to the nth degree. Yeah, absolutely. One last thing I'll say is... Um, don't take leverage, folks. <laughs> be careful with margin. This can happen in a hurry. Mm. If this is your first cycle, be very mm. wary of taking leverage. Uh, you could be the next one liquidated. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about this. Total locked value in DeFi. Ah, oh, man, we were skimming that 100 billion mark. We got to 98 billion, but now we're, we're down, David. What are we looking at for total locked value in DeFi? Yeah, I think at the last weekly rollup, we had just breached the last all-time high. And even after of this liquidation, a flash, like flash crash, which again, didn't really set us back all that much, we are still like tied with the previous all-time high, right? So now the, now the all-time high is $98 billion locked in DeFi. We are clocking in currently at $90 billion locked in DeFi. Uh, but the overall, definitely up on the week uh, for sure. Let's talk about DeFi tokens themselves. Um, where are we on the week? It looks like we're down. Yeah, we're down a little bit with the DPI. Started the week at $425 and we went down to $366 overall, down 14% on the week. So DPI, DeFi got hit harder than BTC and ETH. Down 14% on the week. Part of me wonders, David, if these DeFi tokens are starting to get attractive, mm -hmm. uh, at least these Ethereum DeFi tokens. Mm -hmm. Like they haven't seen a bull run in a while. And some of them, I mean, YFI is cranking out some serious cash. I think its valuation is something like, you know, Fair, fairly low, a billion dollars or something like that. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk Are about- Are you just teeing this up about how low the, the DPI slash ratio <laughs> <Yes>. is? <laughs> I was trying to help you out here, David. <laughs> but why don't you tell me what the DPI to width ratio is? Uh, um, holding its head above water at 0.1, um, which is meaningfully below my 0.13 bottom call. It's about 30% lower than it. He said it, folks. He said yeah. it. Uh -huh. Meaningfully below. Yeah, no, this hold. is, it, it did not hold. Hey, it held it for a while, put up a valiant effort. But overall, that downward slope from like the March high that DPI versus ETH painted at 0.25, uh, we are just continuing this downtrend, setting new lows with, with DPI versus ETH. Well, ETH is holding up fairly strong and, and then DPI is mm -hmm. kind of staying stagnant right. is, I mean, is sort of the reason for this. ETH is a really tough benchmark to be evaluated against, right? Like this isn't DPI versus the dollar. This is DPI versus ETH. So like, yeah, like losing versus ETH is kind of expected. We've also seen some seasonal, seasonal shifts, which we'll get to in a little bit further as we talk about markets. It, it very much seems like uh, ETH killer season, alternative layer one right. season, which we'll discuss in, in just a minute. But before we do, let's talk about the bed index. Where are we on the week? This is, of course, Bitcoin, ETH, and DPI, 30, 30, 33, uh, a third, a third, a third split. What are we looking at? Yeah, this is the first week that the bet index had a meaningfully down week. It's had other down weeks before, but it was only like one or two percent. This week, the bet index is down eight percent from one six four to one forty nine dollars. But if you zoom all the way out, the total all time chart 
looks great. It is still pretty solid. And so we are, the, the, the bed index has some sort of floor that is painted right around like 145 to $150. Uh, and that's kind of what it's been doing for the past uh, like month or so. Um, ranging between 175 dollars and $145. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's the bed index. Invest in bed, sleep comfy at night, folks. Uh, UMA Protocol is doing that. They just purchased a million dollars worth of the bed index for their treasury. It's pretty cool to see other DAOs dipping their toes in the water. A good way to diversify your mm-hmm. treasury if you are a, a DAO. Um, let's talk about layer twos, David. One billion now locked in Ethereum layer twos. This does not include Polygon. This is just layer twos. We crossed that mark last week pretty massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, up to almost 13% on the week. I believe we might have dipped below 1 billion uh, in the because in the, this tweet is, uh, I think, uh, two days old. Um, but we crossed 1 billion and like we're right around it right now. But overall, definitely a lovely adoption by the L2 ecosystem. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And we'll continue to monitor L2s. But another way to look at L2s is this new metrics board that came out. This is uh, l2fees.info. You can check out Ethereum layer one is expensive, but how much does it cost to layer two, to to use layer two? That's the question. And look at this, Uh, Loopring clocks out at the cheapest. This is to transfer ETH, only 37 cents per ETH. Whereas on Ethereum right now, if you're moving ETH around, it costs like $9, $9 to $10. And then we see some other uh, solutions here, like Hermes, Polygon's Hermes is uh, 40 cents to transfer ETH, all the way up to Optimism and Arbitrum. Arbitrum costs about $3, Optimism close to $6. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's your take here? Yeah, this uh, this uh, there's a couple of takes here. This a illustrates the, the how more cheap zk rollups are the versus optimistic rollups. All the zk rollups are this the extra super super cheap ones, uh, clocking in at below a dollar. The optimistic rollups, which are Optimism and Arbitrum, they have throttles on their L2s right now because they're kind of still in their that rollout phase, so they haven't actually totally unlocked all the capacity that they have. Uh, and so like they just they just don't want to like just yeet into a fully just like open ecosystem they want to have a more controlled rollout uh, so they've throttled their their layer two capacity which is why those the eth transfers are still in the multiple dollars range um, and but like as as they open up more capacity and as more people enter the l2 those numbers are actually going to come down and down and down over time so while we while we're kind of watching uh, the ethereum l1 gas fees kind of be up only I also kind of think the L2 fees are generally going to be like flat or down only until it actually does hit some like inflection point where the actual capacity of these things do max out. But we are still pretty far away from maxing out the capacity of both Arbitrum and Optimism. We talked about this subject in length with the Arbitrum team on today's uh, State of the Nation. Uh, And so if you want to understand the gas markets on optimistic rollups, like to a a pretty like expert level degree, uh, definitely watch that, that show with them. Yeah, absolutely. It helps me really understand um, like gas fees on on Arbitrum in particular, Optimism or similarly. But as you were saying, David, as they get more users, they actually are able to spread some of the fixed fees that it costs to, to settle on main chain across a wider set of users. So gas fees go down for everybody. And I, I think we will see a continued decrease in gas fees on layer two. But then, um, it's super interesting, and we'll get to this maybe toward the end of the episode. Once we get data sharding in ETH 2.0, that's just a massive right. unlock right. where we get like a 90% ex- reduction in, in fees. Yeah. Yeah. Even like it's just going to be absolutely crazy. Uh, and that is a big unlock coming to ETH 2 happening after the merge. 
um, sort of put that together after talking to Arbitrum, talking about sort of Ethereum's roll-up centric scalability path that it's on. Anyway, some cool stuff there, but let's talk about this. They're also printing the revenue too, mm-hmm. these layer two. So Optimism had a record trading volume day yesterday. Um, Uniswap, point- Uniswap on Optimism oh, had a, had me, a yes. record trading. Yeah, so Uniswap, Uniswap traded almost $7 million on Optimism yesterday. Uh, and so if you are frustrated by the gas prices on Ethereum and you're st- using Uniswap on L1, consider moving over to Optimism. That's what it's for. What's it like to move over, David? You, you've moved over, I, I assume, mm-hmm. a few times, trying poly, Polygon, trying Optimism, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. It just costs some fees to bridge across, and then it's fairly easy after that, right? You use the same tools you have. Right. No, that's exactly right. Like uh, you just point your MetaMask to a different RPC endpoint. It's as simple as like dragging and dropping uh, on a dropdown menu. I think if you go to the Optimism site, they actually even generate the prompt for you. So you just have to click accept. And then it's just one uh, L1 transaction from your wallet to the Optimism contract. And then once you do that, the money shows up in your wallet on the Optimism chain. Uh, And then you can like, you know, swap freely for funsies as much as you want. It's great. Easy as that. All right. Let's talk about the ETH burn, David. It's mm-hmm. had a crazy week yeah. in terms of mm-hmm. the amount of ETH being burnt. Of course, that's because gas fees are high. That's because Ethereum block space demand is high. But mm-hmm. what are we looking at on the week as far as ETH burned? Is this a record setting week? Yeah, we almost had seven days of deflationary issuance, right? So we had uh, how much total issuance? 94,000 Ether issued in the last seven days and 87,000 of that Ether was burnt due to EIP-1559. So we had a net issuance of 7,300 Ether over the last seven days, which over proof of work, because, or excuse me, over uh, pre-EIP-1559, we actually reduced issuance. EIP-1559 reduced issuance by 92%. Uh, and that is ex- not even talking about proof of stake, which also like lowers issuance by another like 90%. Uh, so we are seeing, watching Ether become ultrasound in real time. You know, I saw this metric yesterday. We don't have it up, but um, you know, all of the ETH that's been minted for ETH 2.0 and this, as a result of, of people staking, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of collecting on the staking Deposits side. into the deposit contract? Uh, yes, and but the issuance from ah, the deposits right, 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 in right, right. deposit. Right. So the, the staking reward, essentially. You take that entire like mm-hmm. reward um, and, and you subtract... Well, if you take the the entire amount of of reward and then you subtract the burn, mm-hmm. we've actually burnt more than everything we've issued mm-hmm. in ETH 2.0. Right. It's absolutely crazy. Over the first like it's been 30, 40 days now of ETH burnt, and we've already compensated for all of that additional issuance that has come from the ETH 2.0 staking contract. So pretty phenomenal there. Um, what, what are we looking at this particular block? You wanted to highlight this, David. Yeah, this, this is the new highest burned block ever. So block number 13180434. Congratulations to that block. It burned <laughs> 96 Ether inside of one Jeez. block. 96 Jeez. Ether. That's more Ether than, than, than is what is issued over the next uh, 45 blocks. I think that's the right math. Um, so that is pretty crazy. The base fee... For this block clocked in at 3,200 guay. 
So like that's if going in like imagine going into your MetaMask and you're saying like no. okay setting setting my no gas price to three thousand two hundred gwen. Nope, <laughs> <Not> <laughs> happening. Well, it was definitely an NFT drop, or, or no, maybe this this actually could have been the liquid one of the one of the liquidation blocks, right? So there, this could have been a lot of like arbitrage, uh, and uh, people like people actually liquidating people out of their positions in Aave, Compound, or DYDX, or any like leverage platform, uh, and so like the, this is uh, where a bunch of like uh, MEV bots are competing to, to buy out people's collateral because they were over collateralized. And so this is where we get into the meme of bullish selling, right? So like if there's a bunch of liquidations, it actually burns more ether because everyone's clamoring to buy block space. Uh, it's always a fun little meme when we see like ETH price goes down it, but then it also burns a ton of ETH in the process. But that's what's funny about this, right? So um, we'd only see a block with gas prices, the gas fees this high if it was worth it for somebody right. to actually pay these to get the economic value um, out of that transaction. If it wasn't worth it, mm. like we wouldn't see the gas fees bid up to this. So this is an economically right. valuable block, right? I suppose. It was yeah. worth it to somebody. This block produced at least 96 Ether worth of value for all the transactions inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one way to put it. Absolutely. This is another graph of ETH's first deflationary day, David. So if you guys are watching on, on YouTube, you can see it depicted very well. What are we looking at here? Yeah, we're just seeing, so in the blue, we have the issuance and in the red, we have the burn. And I mean, this is almost implied. Uh, we said that we almost had our first week of deflation uh, with with Ether and its monetary policy. We had actually two days inside of this week where Ether was actually more deflationary than it was uh, inflationary. Uh, and we were just seeing these these gas fees just go up and up and up. And it's largely because of NFTs. Uh, and there's actually some fantastic data about this that, that we're, we're going to show you. Yeah, here is the second day. So the two the top two days, and uh, number one was the 8th of September, which is yesterday at the time of recording. And then the, the number two day was uh, the 9th of September, which is today. Um, and that was 16,000 ETH burned and then 14,800 ETH burned on those last two days. And then the number three day was the fourth. So it's all in September. It's all in the last like two weeks or so. And this is correlate, correlated with NFTs. Mm -hmm. uh, you could see that in this graph. What are we looking at? Yeah, so NFTs are gas intensive. Since they are unique tokens, uh, they are, are unique objects and require like much more gas and computation to make a transaction. And so all this NFT activity is really, it's over, uh, it's really over consuming gas on Ethereum more than anything else, right? And so according to Takes Theorem, this was a fantastic tweet. Um, NFTs account for 42% of the variation in the base fee as in like when you go and you look at like the base fee or the GUI cost to get your transaction in 42 percent of the reason of why that number is whatever that number is when you look at it is because of nfts as in like nfts are dictating the direction of the gas cost on ethereum 42 percent of it like there's there's 58 percent of unaccounted like generalized ethereum activity uh that's not nfts and then 42 percent of that activity is nfts and so you can see yeah. like as NFT markets heat up, uh, base, base fee prices also heat up. Well, th this is an interesting, I think, like segue into our next conversation, which is this monster Solana run. Mm -hmm. And maybe even more broadly than this, like a monster uh, layer one, alternative layer one, non-Ethereum ETH killer mm -hmm. sort of run that we've seen. Because here's the narrative, David. Um, the Ethereum people are over here celebrating like uh, fee burns, mm -hmm. right? And EIT we're celebrating 15, high fees. 
we're, we're celebrating high fees in a way, right? Mm. With this fee burn metric, which is good for the entire ecosystem uh, and certainly way better than, than pre-EIP 15.59. Meanwhile, the, it's costing $80 to, to do a Uniswap transaction. If right. I want to mint an NFT, maybe that's going to cost $150. Like people are saying, we can't afford to use Ethereum. And then they're also starting to see some NFTs on other chains, like some DeFi on other chains. So Solana is one, uh, Avalanche is another. So let's talk about that in the context of what we have seen over the last 30 days. Uh, and even just this week, even with despite the flash crash, an absolutely monster run that Solana has had. So this is kind of 90 days. 90 days ago, Solana was $37. Now we're above $200. I mean, I could look at that on the one year too. That was even further, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like $3 to over $200. Mm -hmm. An absolutely monster run what do you think is going on here what's the what's the narrative that's taken hold yeah well first and foremost it's always something when something moves this violently especially to the upside um uh, and especially when it didn't have that much of like a history prior it's always reflexivity like people are seeing people pile into a trade and then they pile into a trade and then more people pi pile into the trade the amount of reflexivity that this uh, kicked into gear was like absolutely insane i think this is one of the biggest like reflexivity price movements I, we've ever seen but when something goes from like 50 dollars to 200 dollars in the course of like 30 days like it's it's traders traders are acknowledging that people are uh also acknowledging like how Solana might actually be the ETH killer that actually takes the ETH killer uh, slot. But then you also see like there's other other quote unquote ETH killers that have also uh, performed uh, like just as well as Solana in the last month, like Phantom comes to mind, even Binance Smart Chain, Polkadot. And this happens every single bull run. And just like we were talking about with, with the high fees, like Ethereum has a certain amount of block space and it has like a, its population of people that's willing to consume that block space. And as that population of people that is willing to consume that block space goes up, so does the cost of buying that block space, which also pushes out more and more people who and outprices them out of that block space. And so those people have to find alternatives. We like uh, we we are proponents of layer two alternatives, but the other answer is that there's other blockchains that you can go do like crypto stuff on. Uh, and so the the narrative, the, why these trades get reflexive, is that everyone's like, all right, like people are going to like get priced out of Ethereum. Where are they going to go? And I think a lot of people have uh, included Solana as like the first and primary destination after Ethereum that people go once they get price out of that block space. Uh, and so this kind of kind of created that reflexivity in the price action. And so people, in my opinion, people are pricing in Solana as like the ETH killer that like beat out all the other ETH killers. The ETH killer that lived. And the ETH killer the that ETH lived, ki yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's an interesting narrative, right? It's like, and here, here's actually what this looks like on, on token terminal as well. So you can definitely see that as a function of the amount of transaction fees, the revenue that it's producing, mm. um, it's it's still trading at a colossal multiple to ETH. So like as a function of transaction fee revenue, ETH is a price to sales ratio of about 40, whereas Solana is 3,800. So Solana is definitely pricing as if you if you take the lens of a capital asset, it's, it's pricing in a tremendous amount of growth, right? In order to justify that fee revenue would have to increase by 100 right. to match what uh, Ethereum is doing. But it feels like it has sort of consolidated and taken the mantle from a bunch of the other ETH killers. Although I will also make the argument that maybe we're just in a season here, David, mm -hmm. like ETH killer season. Okay. We didn't get DeFi season. 
this summer, uh, but maybe we got ETH killer season, at least over the past couple of months. Because if you look at this, um, this is an assortment of all smart contract platforms. And I'm going to sort this by 30 day, David. So you see like Phantom, you're talking about earlier, that's even up more than Solana over 30 days. It's up 509%. Solana is up 388%. But then you also have like Near Protocol, 250%. Uh, Cadena, 180%. That's a blast from the past. Algorand, 171%. Uh, Avalanche, 161% over the last 30 days. If you look at this year to date, it's absolutely even, like it's even crazier. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to scroll all the way down, I think to like number 40 or something to see Ethereum uh, in, in the 30 days. So it's also possible we're just in a season that we see every other cycle, that this is kind of a, a new narrative that's taken hold. Um, do you think that's what's going on? Or do you think that some of these alternative layer ones actually have some staying power? Yeah, I mean, we definitely saw this in 2017, 2018. Like when Ethereum was congested in 2017, we saw EOS pump right afterwards. Uh, but as soon as like the bear market came, uh, all the activity on the actual Ethereum blockchain and the developer activity just died out. And then as went the, the EOS price. Do I think that, that is, we're going to just see a repeat of that? Like, perhaps not. I don't really think a bear market is going to come. And therefore, like, more and more activity can come onto these non-Ethereum chains because people are going to continue to be priced out of the L1 and then also not migrate over to the L2 and just choose to migrate to a different L1. Also, at the same time, like, EOS has not seen the level of just, like, um, uh, brute, brute force like marketing from like uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX, right? So this is going to be another thing we're going to talk about later on the show. But like, we get there. There's Tom Brady like shilling FTX on on like global commercials, right? Along with Steph Curry, who also just signed a deal with FTX. And FTX is kind of just a proxy for Solana, right? Like FTX is Sam Bankman-Fried, Solana is Sam Bankman-Fried. So like, if if you were seeing FTX cast a wide net trying to capture new users. Those new users might be going over to Solana because FTX is like incentivized to to like you know shill Solana more than anything else. So what does this mean? Does this mean do you think that the ETH killer value proposition is winning is correct, or are we just in a, a in a cycle that uh, assumes right. it is? What are we? What are we? What's the market mm-hmm. pricing in here, David? Yeah, the, I think the market is pricing in people not prioritizing decentralization as the current cohort of people that find themselves inside of crypto. Um, I think the people that aren't yet in crypto, the people that are still not crypto people, but destined to become crypto people in the future, I think those people will care about decentralization less than the people that are already in crypto. Because if you're already in crypto, you probably cared about decentralization more. That's why you came here already. Uh, And so uh, I think traders and and like the Solana run are, are... pricing in um, a new generation of crypto people who might not have the same like decentralization values as the old crypto people. Uh, and so like that, which is something to be concerned about. Um, I'm kind of concerned about the concept of like, if you can be regulated, you will be regulated. It's an outstanding question as to whether or not Solana can be regulated. But when you have like a centralized company, FTX and a centralized person, Sam Bankman Freed, like promoting this thing, like, and, and like also there are significant decentralization compromises to the Solana ecosystem, right? And so like that is going to be the, the thing that this industry has to like parse apart and come to terms with is like, do, if we want to onboard all the world, like can we, how, how significant can we uh, sacrifice our decentralized values in order to onboard more and more people? And is that going to be a net positive trade in the long term? 
Yeah. You know, two other things that, that might indicate that this is kind of a, a cyclical narrative is, you know, one, I don't think we've seen layer two on Ethereum really hit its stride. And so once it does, this might sort of change things. Um, the other thing I would say is like, it's really hard to get signal out of a market that prices Cardano at $80 billion. <laughs> okay. Like Cardano yeah. does not really have DeFi. It has staking that you can do in Cardano, but like, um, there's not much there as far as an ecosystem. I would contrast that to the Solana ecosystem where there's actual apps, there's a wallet, there's stuff you can do. Right. Cardano, it's kind of like Tumbleweed's ghost town, right. and yet it's worth more. It's worth $80 billion. So I just have a hard time parsing the signal out of this, and we'll have to see how this plays out over the long term. I will say Bankless is, is definitely biased towards the most decentralized platforms ultimately winning. Not to say that other layer ones don't have a place, uh, and other platforms won't have a place in this story. But I think the the bankless thesis has been from day one, like, hey, in order to have a, a monetary system and a monetary unit and true DeFi, you need maximal decentralization. And the platforms with maximal decentralization, the Bitcoins and the Ethereums of the world, will power law accrue most of the value. Now, we'll see how that thesis right. plays out and holds right. up over time. But hey, this has been an interesting three or four months uh, to, to witness. All right, guys, we will be back with releases. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum, which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version 2 has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi money Legos, yield, and composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. Here you can see me borrowing 200 USDC against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens in ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock in that interest rate in permanently. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw their assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com.
Hey guys, we are back with the news of the week. David, we got to start here with Merit Circle. Last time, I called these guys a ZK rollup, and I was confusing them with another solution called Metis. In fact, I think I just called them a rollup. Uh, Metis is a solution that is basically a fork of optimism. They're doing some interesting things in, in the rollup world. But Merit Circle is completely different. They tweeted me after the show. They said, I guess we're a ZK rollup now. <laughs> Oopsies. Sorry, guys. <laughs> hey, we don't make mistakes often on Bankless. This, this is the first time we've had to like actually do a, a correction on the last week. Um, but yeah, uh, usually we yeah. edit those out. Yeah, sorry. yeah, we do usually edit those out. Usually we find them before we publish it. But So with that said, I think Merit Circle actually deserves some explanation. These uh -huh. guys are uh, creating a DAO, which is kind of a play to earn DAO, which is a super mm -hmm. cool idea. In my World of Warcraft Diablo days, I used to be like part of all of these different guilds and you'd like come together, you'd like win items as a group and you'd like succeed as a team. Basically, they're kind of dowifying these play to earn games. So it looks like what Merit Circle is doing is uh, one of their early initiatives is they've got 420 people on scholarships playing Axie for them, uh, essentially. So playing to earn in the Axie game and they're providing some sort of reward structure for them. I think that this concept of you launch a DAO in a play to earn um, like business model mm -hmm. and you just kind of maximize profits and a portion maybe goes to the DAO is something that's super attractive. I wish I had this in my early gaming days. Right. Uh, and I think it's going to be something that takes hold. Look, the, the um, metaverse market, the crypto gaming market is only $36 billion right now. So like we are just getting started on this. I think it's going to be worth multiple hundreds of billions, even trillions possibly into the future as things shift into the metaverse. So really cool to see Merit Circle getting started with that. Guys, I hope that was a better explanation of what you guys are up to. Um, but uh, yeah, really cool to see that progress. The combination of crypto asset powered gaming plus DAOs with treasuries plus players is insanely powerful, right? Like we already know people play games. We already know that there's these concepts of, you know, treasuries, that's nothing new. And now we have DAOs. And like when you combine all of these things, like imagine how many Zoomers and whatever comes after Zoomers are going to be employed by like DAOs where they pay you to play video games and collect valuable in-game assets that can be sold on Uniswap for Ether or stables or whatever to go into the DAO. Like that is just going to absolutely Give it explode. A few, this is going to happen quick, man. Give yeah. it a few years. Yeah. Like we're not talking like in 20 years, this right. will be the, you know, no, no, like- no. This is happening right now under our very eyes. Three years, years. yeah. Eyes. <laughs> All right, uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, DYDX. So mm -hmm. DYDX governance token dropped, um, at least for some people. I mm -hmm. think if you are a US citizen, maybe, maybe didn't capture that drop. Um, but uh, doing pretty well Thinking. on the markets. Yeah. What do you want to say about this, David? Yeah. Congratulations for DYDX for actually getting their token out the door. If you were paying attention to Antonio on our interviews with him, we would always ask him about win token. And of course, he would never actually explicitly say we are going to do a token, but he would say that we will do whatever the community wants us to do. And obviously the community likes tokens. Uh, and so finally that token is actually here uh, and doing pretty well on evaluation performance right out of the gate. So congratulations to DYDX for getting over this obstacle. Yeah, thir uh, these are some launch stats, but uh, 32,000 DYDX mm. holders, uh, fairly even distribution. So they incented it well. Um, yeah, a whole bunch of open interest in this. 
So really cool to see. Of course, U.S. investors did not get this. Make sure to thank your unelected officials for that. Mm -hmm. There was also a little bump along the road to uh, something to do with the staking contract. What happened here? Yeah, the staking contract was uh, broken. When people came and staked their DYDX token, they would be receive zero staked wrapped, wrapped staked DYDX tokens in return. I think like something like 64 users got uh, affected by this where they staked their tokens and then didn't get anything back. So in fact, effectively burning their own tokens, whoopsies. Um, but I believe this has already been fixed and those uh, people are being a able to be re-enumerated uh, re by the foundation. I think that's what's happening. Very cool. All right, David, the uh, the Bankless DAO mm -hmm. and Gitcoin just re uh, put out the ultimate DAO report. So this is, I think, the, the biggest DAO report of its kind where they actually surveyed about 400 people who are actively involved working in DAOs as DAO members. And a whole bunch of insights came from this report. Um, so first of all, really cool that this is kind of a DAO to DAO research report. Not a lot of information has ever been like created about DAOs or research DAOs. And then there's just some fantastic uh, summaries here uh, or key takeaways here. Um, one, one of which is um, DAO fatigue is real. Like I felt DAO fatigue from like time to time if you're involved in too many DAOs, but only for a minority of highly engaged participants. I found that interesting. Um, also interesting is the amount of intra-DAO coordination. So there's some findings on that. Uh, as of September, 2021, many DAOs have ecosystems in the billions of dollars in capital and hundreds of creators working for them. So some people might not even be aware of the level of activity that, that's, um, that's going on already. Um, a lot of the people surveyed were part-time members, but there are also some full-time members who all they do for their job is work for a DAO. Uh, so it sounds kind of cool. Sounds a little bit like uh, living the dream maybe. Anyway, we will include a link in the show notes to the full DAO report. So if you're interested in digging in further, make sure you check that out. Uh, this next, David, this is a, a promise of a release, long time coming from Rocket Pool. What's going on here? Yeah, Rocket Pool finally announced their launch date, which is going to clock in at the 6th of October, 2021. So under a month. Uh, and so this has been a long time coming. Rocket Pool has been on a th with Ethereum since 2017. Uh, one of the few ICOs that was A, a good ICO, and then also B, was building throughout the bear market, super committed to decentralizing staking for Ethereum. Uh, yeah, so actually, if you don't know what Rocket Pool is, it is a decentralized staking as a service application on Ethereum to for, for people that don't have 32 ETH or people that just want to actually run nodes for the Rocket Pool uh, application and then actually receive more ETH or rewards than they would if they had just staked solo. These products are for you. Uh, and so uh, it's been a long time coming. It's hard to do decentralized staking as a service. That's why they've had, uh, had to like rewrite that. Uh, because as in ETH2 has been developed, Rocket Pool has had to develop around ETH2. ETH2 has like changed its course a number of times. Therefore, it made as a forcing function, Rocket Pool changed its course a number of times. But now we are finally here with a launch date, October 6th, for uh, Rocket Pool staking as a service app. So congratulations to the Rocket Pool team and community for getting to this point. I think this is the second, like obviously the, the best way you can keep the Ethereum network decentralized and, and uh, you know, stake your ETH in a decentralized way is to be a validator yourself, run it at home, run it on a Raspberry Pi. You can do that. It's actually not that difficult. Um, but this to me is probably the second best way. At least it, it promises to be. I, I, I should mention that October 6th date, it's going to be a phased rollout. So only a certain amount of stake will um, be allowed in 
in the first phase of that rollout. And then they have a second phase where they're going to open it up to more ETH and a third phase and a fourth phase. So it will be sort of a, a scaled rollout over time. But if you've been waiting to stake some of your ETH for a more decentralized solution, not wanting to run your own validators, you might want to check this one out. Um, David, let's talk about Hop Protocol. It is, uh, it is growing in terms of integrations. Who's Hop integrating with, and uh, what is Hop for people who haven't listened to previous rollups? Right, Hop is a protocol to protocol, layer two to layer two to Ethereum uh, bridging protocol to allow assets to flow through layer twos um, without having to go back to the Ethereum main chain. And then, if you do want to go back to the Ethereum main chain on optimistic rollups, you have to wait seven days. But Hop protocol will uh, ferry you across instantly for a small fee. Uh, so it's a layer, it's a layer bridging uh, platform similar to Connects as well. And they've already integrated like Polygon, XDAI, Optimism. And then they also have USDT, USDC, Matic. Uh, and then they are working on their Arbitrum uh, bridge with Ether and DAI. Uh, and then something hidden as well. So Hot Protocol continues to build like a webbing of bridging between all of these different layers of Ethereum. So many people have been building this entire time and building with the plans to deploy on layer two. I feel like Argent is another one. So probably my favorite smart contract wallet, the most usable that I've seen. I think they've been stymied in terms of their growth because mm -hmm. gas fees are so high on layer one. So there's been this persistent question. It's like, when is Argent coming to layer two? Mm -hmm. Looks like they're teasing us some more. Can't wait to share our layer two wallet when? In the next few weeks, this tweet from Argent with a, uh, a screenshot and I think a post about their layer two plans. David, did you dig into this? What is Argent planning to do, do you think? What, what can we expect? Yeah, I think that th this is just execution on that same uh, talk that we had with Vitalik about the uh, combination of smart contract wallets on layer two. Like the quality of life is going to be orders of magnitude better when it comes to smart contract wallets on layer two. Uh, and so it's really going to be it's really going to unlock so many integrations that would have been largely unfeasible uh, on with a smart contract wallet on layer one. Uh, and so as DeFi gets built on layer twos, Argent Wallet is going to come over and be accessible towards DeFi on layer twos. And so I think it's really going to be a fantastic portal towards cheap and instant DeFi stuff in your mobile wallet, which is really a very powerful way to onboard so many more people. Yeah, the beauty of a smart contract wallet, of course, is it's normie friendly. I mean, you have social recovery. You don't have to memorize like 12 to 24 keys. Uh, and if you, if, you, if you lose your keys, it doesn't matter because you have social recovery in place. This is a huge UX upgrade. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about Arjun's ability to execute on this because their original wallet has been absolutely fantastic very easy to use. So, well, high expectations. I'm excited to see what they finally release. Um, David, let's talk raises for a second. This is something that we thought would happen and now is happening. We've got NFT specific social networks that are getting funded and coming to market. This one is Hype and they are announcing a $1.5 million seed raise from Electric Capital. What's the story here? Yeah, we all know that NFTs are a social phenomenon. And kind of this kind of reminds me of like the loot structure for building an ecosystem around NFTs. Loot, uh, if you guys didn't watch the last week's roll-up, it was a new kind of NFT that doesn't actually have a JPEG or any sort of file embedded with it. It's just text in the token. And then now we have like a similar kind of model where we have this hype 
uh, new NFT like social media platform, but it's not specific towards NFTs. It is just a wrapper around NFTs and allows you to em embed your NFTs into this new social media platform. And the social media platform can wrap around the NFT ecosystem. Uh, and so I think we're going to see some pretty cool stuff coming out of the intersection of social media and NFTs. And Hype seems to be building a, a platform to allow people to tell stories or just do things with their NFTs that, you know, we, we, Twitter is like the best we got when it comes to like NFTs and social media, like everyone's putting in their profile picture as their avatar. Uh, and so Hype is taking this, uh, which is clear demand to have some sort of social environment with NFTs and building a, uh, an open ecosystem around NFTs without actually dictating what those NFTs are. Yeah, look, like somebody's going to build the Instagram for NFTs, basically. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, uh, Facebook started as just a, a web platform, right? But they totally missed at first the the mobile the, mm -hmm. the mobile initiative where people are taking pictures and they just wanted, and Instagram totally captured that medium. Well, now we have a new medium shift. We have these things called NFTs that are all surrounding uh, digital scarcity, social signaling, memetics, if you listen to that yeah. bankless episode. And I think new social media platforms have to be built that actually optimize and draw the strengths out of this entirely new medium. So I don't know if it's hype or if it's going to be something else, David, but I think we're going to see an Instagram for NFTs being created here. Um, and uh, and then, of course, the big social media companies, they, they'll be slower movers, right. but eventually they'll figure this space out too. Um, let's talk about this tokenizing MEV. So Eden Network just got some funding from Multicoin, Jump Capital, uh, um, who else? Wintermute, Defiance Capital, a few others as well. And what is Eden Network, David? What are they trying to do here? Yeah, this seems to be a way to manage and control MEV in the same way that Flashbots has. Uh, and so is it is a um, it's a a system or a protocol that is you know uh, parallel to Ethereum. That if you are proposing an Ethereum block, you can propose it under the Eden network, uh, and it'll be an Eden block. And the MEV inside of this block will be managed according to the rules of the Eden network. Same kind of gist as Flashbots, um, but they are doing it in a different way. And uh, my technical uh, knowledge is going to be limiting how these differences actually are, but it's basically there is a world of MEV out there and there are different systems for managing MEV and these different systems point the captured value of that MEV into different spots based on how the system is constructed and uh, this Eden network is doing it differently than Flashbots. Yeah, and the MEV problem is really a thorny problem. We've done podcasts on this in the past with Flashbots and the Paradigm folks. Um, what's really interesting is this post from Tushar, and I think the approach that Eden has had on this, or maybe the marketing surround it, has really stirred up some controversy in the MEV space. Um, so I think this these two paragraphs in particular, where Tushar from Multicoin is talking about Flashbots and also BloxRoute, two other MEV solutions, and says this, other MEV projects such as Flashbots and BloxRoute attempt to create efficient markets between mining pools and bot operators to extract as much value from average network participants. These systems do not attempt to mitigate malicious MEV. Instead, they make it easier to extract. Their systems are closed with centralized integration processes that exclude some block producers and leverage opaque reputation scores that favor certain addresses over others, whereas Eden is focused on reducing malicious MEV and creating positive externalities for Ethereum as a whole. That's really interesting that they say they are trying to reduce 
uh, creating positive externalities for Ethereum as a whole and reduce malicious MEV. Well, Robert Miller from Flashbots had a thing or two to say about this post. David, do you want to get into it? Yeah, the, again, the, the the details, the MEV is a really hard subject. So, so I'm not like an MEV expert as to how this works. But like you said, this has stirred up, stirred up a ton of controversy from the Ethereum community, especially from the Flash uh, Flashbots team. Robert Miller says, contrary to Multicoin's claims, minimizing MEV is a core uh, component of the Flashbots mission and products. That shows from our funding of fairness and ethics research, work on MEV aware dApps and hundreds of users that have used the Flashbots to skip the mempool and protect themselves from front running. So there's a, some jabs being thrown um, back and forth between uh, the Tushar um, and uh, uh, Robert Miller and overall like the Flashbots uh, team and, and ecosystem. Flashbots has like a pretty uh, insane amount of alignment with the health of Ethereum. Uh, and therefore also like the deep Ethereum community. And so uh, the deep Ethereum community did not like um, the way that this Eden network was messaged by the multi-coin boys who, who have also done a d decent like amount of like marketing damage. They don't damage. mind trash talking Ethereum. They've been, all, they've, right? they, they, like, they like to trash talk Ethereum and quite Robert a lot. Robert Miller, I mean, Robert Miller says explicitly, multi-coin is lying about Eden, mm -hmm. which is super interesting. It's yeah. not permissionless or transparent. Um, Anyway, you guys can get up to speed on some of this drama, but I, I think we have it to do probably on our side, David. Right. At some point in the future, we've got to sort through these different MEV solutions and uh, and you know roll this into a podcast, right. into a panel to help educate folks, get our arms wrapped or around ourselves. This <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's mainly why we do panels uh, to understand ourselves. Um, Guys, we should talk about the jobs that are available to you in the crypto space as well. For the best jobs, you can go to the Bankless Job Board. We have three posts today that we want to profile. The first is a senior software programmer at Popcorn. Second is a community lead at Popcorn. Popcorn is a decentralized yield um you know, yield generating protocol. It looks super cool. You can check them out at popcorn.network. But if you're not a programmer, this community lead position might be sort of interesting to you. I put those communication skills to work. We also have a senior front end web developer at TracerDAO. All of those are featured. There are dozens of jobs that you can find on the bankless job board. So make sure you check that out. All right, David, you want to get to the news? Oh boy, here we go. This is going to be, this is going to be a long one. Whew, regulatory. You ready? Let's oh let's talk about our it. shadowy super regulators, David. That is the that is the subject, I think, this week and everything that they are doing. We've got to start with maybe the the few events that happened, starting with Uniswap. So on Friday, just after we recorded our last weekly roll-up, um, it appeared that there were some investigations going on at Uniswap and from the SEC. Uh, tell us about that, David. Yeah, so Uniswap got a letter from an investigative letter from the SEC asking just for, just for more information about the business. Um, I mean, so in in theory, these letters are totally just like peaceful and just casual. So it's like, hey, we would like to know more about you. But also like the context, the subcontext is that like we are looking to like figure out what to do with you guys. Uh, and so like while it doesn't indicate that they that Uniswap has done anything wrong or is being charged with anything, the SEC is just probing into Uniswap trying to like get more information is not is not a positive thing. It's definitely a negative thing. Um, this is not the kind of letter you can ignore, right? right. It's not the kind of thing. Oh, junk mail. Just going to throw yeah. that SEC, out. SEC, right? I don't know them. I'm just going to recycle that one. <laughs> you cannot ignore these letters. And um, it's also it's like, you know, 
perjury, some very bad things can happen if you falsify the letters or don't provide the necessary information. It just gets you in the bad books with the SEC as well. Right. So I think investigation is um, maybe a bit more serious in some ways. It's not right. a formal charge, but right. this is not a, a, a small matter. Like, right. I don't know what questions are being asked from the SEC to Uniswap, but uh, you can bet that there's a lot <laughs> and like very detailed, right? Mm. And uh, so Uniswap is is definitely, this is Uniswap Labs, of course. They're definitely going to need to put in the time to answer these questions right. as accurately as possible. So that, that in and of itself is sort of a shot across the bow. Yeah, yeah. And th that is just the first of the, the reg regulatory issues that came out this week. So like th that story is currently being like told, like we're going to hear be hearing more and more from this. I'm, I'm sure uh, the SEC is not done with Uniswap or DeFi. This is just the first of a very long story. But that story took another turn this week when Coinbase uh, was informed by the SEC that the SEC, if, if they uh, release a product, which they have been in open communications with the SEC, uh, if, they, if Coinbase was told by the SEC that if they release a lending product, then the SEC is going to sue them. Uh, and that is uh, extremely aggressive. Uh, and there's absolutely no dialogue going on between uh, the SEC and Coinbase or anyone in the crypto space. And so this has been a th this blew up the, the whole Twitter sphere and, and crypto sphere in the last two days. Um, what do you mean by lending product for people who aren't familiar? What does that mean? Right. So people will, will, might remember BlockFi getting a cease and desist letter from the SEC because they uh, the SEC said that their lending products are securities, um, which has you know some debate about that. Again, I'm not a lawyer. Don't listen to me about any of this. Um, but uh, the, this is the same kind of deal. Like, so lending products are maybe securities, and the SEC is trying to get Coinbase's lend product, which is just the same that we've known for, like all these other centralized lending products, right? Like, come and deposit your Bitcoin, your Ether, your stables, uh, and then we'll get a yield on them. The problem is uh, that the SEC doesn't like is that like how they are how yield is being achieved on these things is is opaque, and so investors don't have like good uh, clarifications or, or clarity on how that yield is coming. And so like if like a Black Swan event happens, my, maybe depositors might actually lose their deposits, which is not enjoyable. Um, and so that's what the SEC is claiming that they are trying to protect from. Uh, what's Coinbase claiming? Coinbase is claiming that mm -hmm. none of this qualifies as a security. It's like, you know, it's we're lending money. We mm -hmm. take your ETH, right. we take your Bitcoin, mm -hmm. we lend it just like if you you know, lend money to a bank and they generate interest on those returns. It's just a lending product. This is not a, a security and is therefore outside of their jurisdiction. But the SEC is, is coming back and saying, Coinbase, if you release this, we will sue you. Right. Right. What they didn't do is provide explanation as to why the lend product is a security. They just said, if you release it, we're going to sue you, which is meaningfully different than providing any sort of guidance or indications as to their logic or analysis as to why this thing is a security at all. Uh, apparently in the letter, in, in a letter to Coinbase, they said that they have done the analysis, but they didn't share what that analysis is, right? And so the threat is that like when we sue you and take you to court, we already have our analysis ready to go. Rather than broadcasting that to the entire industry and saying like, here is our guidance, here is our analysis and allowing the industry to work around that, they say like, okay, we've, we have our analysis, we're gonna keep our cards close to our heart. And then if you like, you know, do anything wrong and if you break this analysis, we're gonna sue you, which is just like infuriating. It's infuriating, it's, 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 it's what that is. Yeah, it's absolutely infuriating. And I can understand the frustration because this is, um. 
this is not a typical move, right? Where a three-letter agency from the Fed comes and says, hey, we're going to sue you if you do this thing. Mm-hmm. And then the company that's being threatened like this comes out and tells everybody about it, right. right? Usually the legal advice that you get in a situation like this is like, don't talk about it, right? right? Until we can reach settlement, until the investigation's over. But this is Coinbase now saying, uh, okay, it's on. Mm-hmm. We're going to let everyone know what's going on. Uh, and so the, Drum the up support legal officer- has written this blog post um, that that's clearly not meant, maybe it's partially meant for the SEC, but it's more meant for public support, right. wouldn't you say? Right. Uh, the title of it, the SEC has told us it wants to sue us over Lend. We don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and then Brian Armstrong put out this, um, this Twitter uh, thread about, and it, it begins like this, some really sketchy behavior coming out of the SEC recently. And he goes into story time where he talks about um, what the SEC is doing. He says, millions of crypto holders have been earning yield on their assets over the last few years. BlockFi is an example of that. David, as you said, it makes sense. If you want to lend out your funds, you can earn a return. Everyone seems happy with that. A bunch of great companies in crypto have been offering versions of this for years. So Coinbase came out recently and said they would be launching their own version. If you're a Coinbase customer, you might've seen the announcement. In fact, Gemini has a version of this, David, like BlockFi, mm-hmm. like this isn't yep. even the only exchange Celsius. that's yep. doing this, uh, Celsius. Um, we were planning to go live in a few weeks. So this was all built out. It was yep. all ready. So we reached out to the SEC to give them a friendly heads up. And this is what they always recommend, by the way. Right. The SEC always says, hey, come tell us. Let us and know first, right. If, if you're doing something, well, in this case, it, it sounds like it, it kind of backfired. Um, they responded by telling us this Lend feature is a security. Okay. Seems strange, Brian says. How can lending be a security? So we asked the SEC to help us understand and share their view. We always make an effort to work proactively with regulators and keep an open mind. They refuse to tell us why they think it's a security. Instead, they subpoena a bunch of our records. We comply. Demand testimony from our own for, from our employees. We comply. Then tell us they will be suing us if we proceed to launch with zero explanation as to why. Look, Brian says, we're committed to following the law. Sometimes the law is unclear. If the SEC wants to publish guidance, we are also happy to follow that. It's nice if you actually enforce it evenly across the industry, by the way, he says. But in this case, they are refusing to offer any opinion in writing uh, to the industry on what should be allowed and why. No clarity. This is something Gary Gensler promised, David. Clarity. We're not getting clarity. Instead, they're engaging in intimidation tactics behind closed doors. Whatever their theory is here, feels like a reach land grab versus other regulators. He goes on with a few more tweets. I won't, I won't finish this out, but that gives kind of the tone for what's going on here. And here's the thing, like Coinbase from day one has always been their message, their branding, their total, their approach to all of this has been, we're going to be by the book, like US regulated. Okay. Finance, like uh, BitMEX, these companies will be more aggressive. They'll list other products earlier. Uh, but we're going to play it by the book because we think that's the better long-term strategy for a company and for a U.S.-based company at the cost of growth. And they could have done things the Binance way and gone into kind of hyper growth, but they decided to play it by the book. And it feels like they're getting punished from that. And like, I got to say, if, if you're a regulator, you can't get along with Coinbase. I mean, who can you get along right. with? Yeah. They're like the goody two shoes, uh, you know, teacher's pet of the crypto industry. <laughs> they they really do everything are. right. And like, if it, it, just like you said, if, if the teacher's pet is getting in trouble by the teacher, then there's obviously bias towards the whole entire classroom, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
something wrong with the teacher is what's going on. <laughs> yeah. This is this is um, hitting the front page of the Wall Street Journal, by the way. SEC investigates Coinbase over crypto lending plan mm-hmm. on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. So they are getting the press. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder what kind of public support they're getting. They certainly have the crypto industry support. Here's a take from Naraj. David, you want to go into this? Yeah, so th- this is something we haven't covered about this yet. Uh, the SEC wants Coinbase to turn over the name and contact information of anyone who has said that they are interested in their lending platform. Wow. And so like, think about this. If this is a security, the people who have expressed interest in, in purchasing said security doesn't change whether that's a security or not. And so Niraj says, uh, why would that be relevant to their investigation into whether the program is compliant or not? Wow. And so the SEC is targeting people that have expressed interest in lending their crypto assets on Coinbase. They want your name, they want your address, they want your phone number. For why? I have why? no clue. To prosecute them in the future? I have no clue. I mean, okay, I, guess, I, mean, I, I do what? have a conspiracy, actually. But So I'm on this list yeah. because when I saw the Coinbase email, like I love to try things in crypto. Mm. So I put my hand up and I was like, yeah, I'd love yeah, I'd Am like I going to gonna need to get a new co-host sometime soon? Are you- <laughs> Confession time. <laughs> I'm on the SEC's list for this, but why would they want that? What's what, like, what are some of the ideas floating around? I uh, Okay, so the, the conspiracy, which again, I'm on board with, is that uh, when we, again, when we zoom out and view the nation state as a holistic concept, we have the treasury who's frustrated about people who aren't reporting their crypto taxes, which is legitimate. Uh, and they have tried and found, tried to find ways to find the same information. Like who are all the people that like own crypto or have interest in crypto? And then we add, now we have the SEC coming from the other side, who's uh, making this claim that this uh, lending product is a security when everyone's like, why the hell is this a security? While they are making that claim, they're asking for everyone's you know, name, birthday, address, their, their nation state identity. Uh, and so like the conspiracy is that like, the SEC and the Treasury are like pincer attacking crypto people by trying to figure out who they are, right? And and that is, a, in my opinion, an infringement on personal privacy and personal sovereignty. That's that's my take. Look, I I don't know if that conspiracy theory it like holds, but mm-hmm. you have to. I don't know of another ask. explanation, right? right? Like, what is the explanation for why they are asking for all of these details? Right. Uh, here's kind of a, a a take I'd meant to to say when we were talking about Uniswap. This is the complete backwards way of how a regulator should approach a Uniswap or a Coinbase. I mean, Coinbase has built a phenomenal company, like a company that the US as an economy should be proud to host within its borders, right? Like part of the next Silicon Valley. But Uniswap too, Uniswap is even more amazing. Uh, One of the most innovative and empowering tech tech projects to come out of America uh, an American team in the last decade. That's what I think Uniswap is, David. And I feel like the the U.S. should be giving Hayden Adams and the Uniswap team a medal, right? Like, thank you for doing this. Instead, those guys are getting an investigation. This is like a financial prison type stuff. This is completely right. backwards from the way they should be handling it. Yeah, what's going on to me is like, we have found ways out of this financial prison 
using DeFi. That's what DeFi is. It breaks you free from your banks. This is the lines we've been using. And then we have the treasury and the SEC is like, no, 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 no. Get back in your cage. Get, I don't know. <laughs> right. how, how, how did you get out of your cage? Get back in your cage. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what they're doing. Yeah. And I, 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 I do feel like that. Um, mm. Let's do some other takes from around the crypto industry. This is mm. from Jake Travinsky. I think this is interesting, David. Why don't you read it? Yeah. Jake says, if the SEC thinks that all non-bank interest products are securities that require the offer to become a public reporting company, then they're not just picking a fight with crypto, they're going after the entire fintech space. So this, to me, this take lends itself towards, lends uh, itself towards um, the whole concept of protecting incumbents, right? Like protecting the banking incumbents. You know, the banking, uh, the banking side of the world, all the bankers, they were probably okay with fintech because they were built on banks. But now that there's crypto, fintechs don't need to be built on banks anymore. They can now be built on crypto rails, which is, again, breaking free from your bank. So to me, this uh, illustrates how this might be incumbent protection rather than just like, you know, investor protection. Get back in your cage. Get back in your cage. Yeah. Yeah. Rabble, rabble, Look at this. Adam Cochran. Part of me wonders if the SEC's unwillingness to provide Coinbase guidance on why they are blocking their Lend pro program is because they can't. Right. Like maybe they've realized that things they think are a security may not at all be accounted for in an right. act from 1933. They don't like it. They have concerns. Feels to them as if it should be a security, but under the Howey Test and Exchange Act, they know it won't really stand up in court. And they don't want to set a precedence that would make the this industry harder on them. So Adam's basically saying maybe they're doing this backroom threatening because they don't actually have a case, right. right? It's a bluff card. It's a bluff. And Coinbase is being like, no, sorry, we're calling your bluff. Yeah. Maybe they finally overreached and like played their hand, extended their hand too far. And maybe now is the time where we're Coinbase. Mm -hmm. and why shouldn't it be Coinbase, David? Right, it's gotta They're be Coinbase. so well resourced. Like they they have the reputation, they have the prestige, they have the leadership to actually stand and fight this. Mm -hmm. Maybe now is the time. Maybe this could flip into a good thing. Hey, SEC, uh, get back in your cage. Get back in your cage. <laughs> <laughs> what is what? So some of these crypto natives, uh, what does Chainlink God think about it? He's, here he is responding from Brian Armstrong. Right. So Chainlink God says, so the SEC is pushing people through a minefield without telling anyone where the mines are, yet at the same time telling to not step on any of the mines or else you will, you will die. This makes zero <laughs> logical sense. Right. Yeah. This is just the approach that we have been asking. As long as I've been in crypto, we've been asking for more regulation clarity. And instead of giving it to us, they're just taking us to court, which is absolutely insane and absolutely irresponsible and against the American principles. Get back in your cage. Get back in your cage. Mark Cuban, he had a response to this too. Good to have more allies. Mm -hmm. And Mark Cuban is definitely an ally. He responds to Brian Armstrong. He said, Brian, this is regulation via litigation. They aren't capable of working through this themselves and they're afraid of making mistakes in doing so. So they just leave it to the lawyers. Just the people you don't want impacting the new technologies. This is the key line. You have to go on the offensive. This yeah. is Mark Cuban saying, hey, they're trying to do regulation by litigation. So like they better arm up because we need to go on the offensive as a crypto industry and settle this in other ways. Settle this in the court of public opinion. Settle this in the actual court system as well. We need to get offensive because they're clearly being aggressive. It's, right. it's no longer like live and let live. Right. Uh, this is actually some aggressive impact. Like I want the ability to lend through my Coinbase account. I like Coinbase. I use it. Why shouldn't we have this ability? Yeah. These are all great questions. Je uh, Jerry Brito, what's he say? 
Gary Brito says, if true, this is pretty underhanded. I know it's easy for me to say, but Coinbase should go ahead and launch its product, let the SEC sue it, and go to court. Let the SEC make its case and let a judge decide what the law is. Jerry Brito basically saying, Coinbase, take the offensive. Coinbase, don't ask for permission. Coinbase, we need you guys to, to break free out of this financial prison and lead the charge out of it, right? And, I, I, and to push the SEC back. This is government overreach. And we need people to plant a, 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 draw a line in the sand saying like, no, 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 like back off. That's how this can get resolved though. Right. Right. And if, I mean, if they're not going to, if the SEC is not going to give us regulation willingly, we will force them to give us regulation by beating them in court. Well, then you have like, then you have court case, uh, like rule rulings and you have precedent established. Mm -hmm. I just wonder how long this process is going to take. Right? right. So like, I do think this is, the SEC is not going to give us clarity. So we have to get clarity by the courts. It just takes so much longer to do it. It'd be so much easier if you had a regulator that was just like, armed across the aisle. Hey, crypto's doing some great things. We have these concerns. Right. Let's address these concerns over time. But we're not getting that from the SEC. Maybe we're getting it from other government agencies. I'm not sure, but it doesn't feel like we're getting that from the SEC right now. So I guess we have to go to court. But what does Coinbase do? Do they just release this product in the meanwhile? Yep. And, and let then people sign up. Yep. Fight the court battle alongside. Mm -hmm. I wonder if mm -hmm. they'll do that. I, I hope they do. I hope they do. <laughs> yeah. Here's the big take here. Um, I just have one question to SEC. Who are you trying to protect? Yep. Their mandate is to protect investors, David. That's are us. they protecting us? Yeah. This is not natural. No, they're they're investors us. in bank. No, investors in banks, Ryan. Bank investors. That's who their job is to protect. It feels like I don't, I don't actually know who they're trying to protect. I know it's not the average retail investor, right? Mm. Is, it, is it banks? Is it the treasury? Is it their own regulatory control? Is it you know some other shadowy figure in uh, like in the nation state government? Some bond. Villain. I'm not sure. I I don't know, but it's not us. Right. I do know that. Yeah. But that would be the question I think we would have to Gary Gensler. It's like, who are you guys trying to protect? Right. right. I'm not feeling protected by this. I didn't. Please, I didn't get don't my, lose uh, the plot. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get your DYDX airdrop? Friend? Absolutely not. Do you oh, feel sir. protected because you didn't lost make, out like, lost out on a significant amount of money? <laughs> let me tell you that. <laughs> okay, so this uh, is, this came this take came from uh, Eric Connor who talks about Anthony Anthony Cesano. Anthony and I talked about this on a recent podcast episode, but I think the elected officials are extremely underestimating the influence coming from the crypto community. There are there's a gigantic power, culture, and wealth shift happening that most are ignoring. And I think the SEC is making this mistake as well. Like the, the, the crypto news uh, ecosystem, like what you guys are listening to right now is vibrant. Uh, we got Mark Cuban. We got like all of crypto Twitter who like there's a lot of wealth in crypto. And so like all of these people have interest in like rallying their support behind Coinbase and against the SEC. We and have Wreath Wither Witherspoon now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got we got Wreath. <laughs> Wreath. <laughs> Um, uh, inside joke. Okay. Um, but like that, that all the nation state regulators don't understand how, uh, vibrant and engaged the crypto community is and how willing we are to like die for what we believe in. Like we will, we will take this all the way to the very end. And I'm not sure the regulators will do the same for whatever the hell they believe in. Yeah. I'm not sure there's that fervor either. And, um, yeah, this is, um, I think this is a, actually going to turn into a good thing for crypto. So right. there you have it guys. 
are we at war with the regulators? I don't know. We didn't fire the first shot though. It seems yeah. like they did. Yeah. But we'll see how this ends. Um, let's get to some other things really quick, David. Um, oh, this is actually related to regulatory. So Brian Quintes, when we had on the show on Monday, former CFTC chair, he just, uh, commissioner, excuse me, he just joined A16Z to help advise their crypto fund. So that was something Brian hinted at. He was going to do something maybe next in crypto. Looks like the next thing he's doing is joining A16Z as a regulatory crypto advisor, I would imagine. So good move, Brian, fantastic person, great values uh, aligned ecosystem. I'm sad he's no longer a regulator because we need people like that on the other side, but at least he's staying in in the space right. and fighting for values this way. Yeah, maybe hopefully he joins the offensive fight rather than just the defensive fight of the crypto industry. Exactly. This is an interesting juxtaposition. Um, so apparently in Panama, they're doing the complete opposite. They're trying to become compatible with cryptocurrency and the digital economy that is coming. Uh, David, what's your take here on what's going on in, in Panama Congress? Yeah, yeah. So Panama is kind of doing a similar thing as uh, El Salvador, but with a little bit more options. Uh, they they are trying to, like you said, the, the gist of the bill is that they are trying to make their country crypto compatible, and so that is uh, using cryptos as payment rails. That includes Bitcoin and Ethereum which I think implies all the stable coins on top of it, but also goes even further. They talk about make, making their uh, DAOs legal entities inside of Panama as well. So this is pretty like precise and well-versed crypto regulation coming out of Panama. I think there, there there's, uh, still needs uh, time for this story to steep and really get digested by the uh, broader community. But we are seeing, again, nation states have relationships uh, with crypto and then choosing very intentfully what those relationships are. El Salvador and Panama choosing very positive stances towards crypto. United States choosing very negative stance. I don't know that nation states get that they actually have to compete for their citizens in the right. 21st century, yep. right? Like that, that should be a global competition. And so what are the crypto-friendly nation states? Maybe Panama is becoming one. Let's burn through some of these, David. MasterCard is acquiring CypherTrace. What does this mean? Yeah, CypherTrace is a kind of a blockchain analytics uh, company. So like, you know, tracing transactions and addresses through the blockchain, uh, making it more, uh, you know, illuminating what's actually going on. Uh, and MasterCard, which is, again, a payments network, has acquired them, uh, which is a very intentful and like um, with a very specific direction as to how MasterCard wants to enter the crypto space. So that is pretty interesting. It says, this article says, details of the acquisition were not disclosed. So we are going to hear more about this in the future, I suspect. Lido is also uh, a staking company that provides a staking organization and DAO really that, that provides staking support for ETH. Now they are also including staking support for Solana for their SOL token. So uh, we knew that was coming and it looks like it is here now. Congratulations to Lido. Um, Steph Curry, this was big. Steph Curry partnering with FTX crypto exchange. FTX is just making moves Huge in moves. celebrities, in sports and gaming and everything. They are trying to buy their way into mainstream legitimacy. And I think doing an okay job, Steph Curry is a, like a, a definitely a good name to add to the roster. What's your take? Yeah, the, again, right after Tom Brady, right? So Tom Brady, probably the most famous football player out there. Steph Curry, probably the most famous basketball player out there. We do know that like sports players really like crypto for some reason. Uh, there's resonance behind um, uh, 
people that play professional sports and investing in crypto. Uh, and Steph Curry also recently tweeted out like, yo, what's up with this crypto thing? Crypto Twitter, what's up? Uh, and FTX, again, doing a fantastic uh, job just like buying the support of, of you know public figures. I think I think it's going to do like extremely well for them. That's, those are the options that are available to you when Solana token pumps a ridiculous percentage. <laughs> uh, they bought Tom Brady as well mm-hmm. to have him as a, uh, a sponsor and a commercial came out with Tom Brady. That was actually- High production, high value commercial. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good. And this is like, so I'm kind of divided on this, right? I don't love that crypto banks um, are dominating all of the mindshare because there's right. so much more to crypto than just what FTX provides. Yet at the same time, this is how we mainstream right. what crypto is, is doing. Absolutely right? how we mainstream. This is, this is how we make it normal. Now it's not just the SEC against all the weird people on you know Twitter uh, doing crypt- shady crypto stuff. They also have to go against Tom Brady right. and Steph Curry <laughs> mm-hmm. and his entire fan base. That's mm-hmm. a that's a harder fight. I think we are breaking into mainstream consciousness at this point. Right now, going through sports is actually a really really smart move. Um, and I mean. It, I, I'm with you in that I don't like crypto banks like being the representative face of crypto according to like the commercials that we see on television. But also, who else is going to do it, right? Like, it's not going to be Uniswap. Be Uniswap's not going to run a commercial. It's got to be, be a crypto bank. So, I mean, somebody's going to buy out all the, the celebrities and turn them into, into crypto celebrities. And like by the very def- definition, it can't be the DeFi apps. It has to be the central centralized companies because that's, that's really where they get alignment the most. Uh, Ethereum stuff, MetaMask just crushing it. They just surpassed 10 million monthly active users, largest uh, non-custodial crypto wallet in the world. I, I've heard rumors that that's actually like 14 million now. Right. So mm-hmm. even since that this was posted, so they're just absolutely exploding in growth. I feel like it's healthy growth too. It's not like 2017 growth. People right. are actually using these protocols. So right. there's a different feel and flavor there. David, uh, let's go through some of this NFT stuff. Did you know that Polygon, is actually uh, compatible with OpenSea. This is something I did not know. And that, that's one tidbit, but, but the second is this. There's actually more OpenSea NFT users on Polygon than Ethereum Slayer 1. What do you think this means? Yeah, I, I, I think people are finding ways to do all the things that they want to do on DeFi, but without having to pay all the fees. And that has always meant L2s, or in this case, sidechains. Um, uh, and that's how you can like mint your NFTs, because minting an NFT costs over $100 on Ethereum. I think it costs under a dollar on Polygon. Uh, and that NFT that you minted can be sent back to the Ethereum main chain and have that, that uh, sovereignty tied to Ethereum itself. Um, and so uh, congratulations to uh, the Polygon team for getting uh, so much NFT volume on uh, on Polygon because there's like a lot of people that have straight up been priced out of NFTs on the main chain. And we definitely don't want to lose those people to just a- either lack of interest or centralized chains. Uh, Immutable is doing the same thing. So now you can mint and trade on Immutable X. Uh, super cool. Of course, this is a ZK rollup. It's fully secured by Ethereum. So it's not a side chain but that provides another avenue for cheap minting of NFTs and trading of NFTs. So it's great to see. Um, also, Christie's is doing more in the NFT space. What's this, David? Yeah, they're selling off art block sets, art block curated sets one through three as part of their post-war to present auction in New York on the 1st of October. So they uh, have a Chromie Squiggle and a bunch of other uh, art block sets from the, the first three sets out of our art blocks. So art blocks making their way into mainstream culture. That's pretty cool. 
It's kind of cool. Prediction markets on DeFi are a thing. This is Polymarket. They have just introduced an NFT floor pricing market. So you can long or short the floor price of something like CryptoPunks or Bored Apes or even Loot. Mm -hmm. Really cool. We'll include a link to, in the show notes where you can see that live on Polymarket and start getting price exposure to these NFTs in a less direct way, but maybe a more capital efficient way, mm -hmm. uh, depending on what you're trying to do. Um, also, David Vitalik has been posting about NFTs, um, like big brain stuff about mm -hmm. NFTs on layer two, getting them on layer two to cut fees. What's the TLDR of this ETH research post that he published? Right. So earlier in this episode, we talked about that post of the, uh, that was the correlation between gas consumption and NFTs. As NFT activity heats up, it disproportionately makes the gas price price move in, in the same direction. And so Vitalik has identified this as a huge problem. And he, he says that the NFT ecosystem is growing rapidly and it's a significant part of Ethereum's gas change consumption. The youth and relative lack of entrenchment of the ecosystem, as well as the greater need to avoid high fees due to the non-financial nature of the large part of the NFT sector, makes it a prime target for moving on to layer two. However, this opens the question of how to move, uh, how a move to layer two uh, could actually happen. One simple proposal is to socially coordinate a move to a single rollout platform, IG, I, as an optimism or arbitrum, but this has some important downsides. All existing major EVM capable rollups have backdoors, centralized sequencing, or other training wheels, and it's risky to commit an entire ecosystem to a single rollup when there's uncertainty as to how that rollup will graduate beyond, beyond such features. And so what Vitalik's blog post is offering is, is a way to make NFTs move on to layer twos without having to commit to any specific layer two. Uh, and so this is a maybe a, a short-term stopgap as allowing uh, you can have your, uh, your NFT on layer one and then have it wrapped and then wrapped onto a layer two. So your NFT actually stays on layer one, but the wrapped version can hop around seamlessly around other uh, layer twos. Uh, and then maybe as the layer two ecosystem gets more built out and more diverse and more solidified, then we can actually have native NFTs on layer twos after some of those uh, you know important uh, design choices have, have been built out on the layer twos. Uh, it's actually a really complicated post. So if you want to le uh, learn more, you got to go read the post yourself. That guy has some good ideas sometimes. That's just sometimes. Usually, usually valuable to listen. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. Loot time. Loot time. So Dom, Dom Hoff, D. Hoff, the guy behind the whole loot project that, that kickstarted that whole mania, has submitted a proposal to burn the keys to the loot contract, which would uh, just basically remove the option of minting any more loot bags. Um, that is up for debate as to whether the community wants it or not, but the proposal is out there. There you go. David, uh, let's touch on Bitcoin stuff. El Salvador said they would purchase a bunch of Bitcoin mm -hmm. when they legalized it as tender. And here they are. They just purchased 200 Bitcoin. Um, this is really interesting. <laughs> this is the, the president <laughs> tweeting this out. Buying the dip. Winky smiley emoji. 150 new coins added. Just like a Bitcoiner, <laughs> he is telling about buying the dip as he is purchasing the dip and broadcasting that on Twitter far and wide. Uh, interesting to see for sure. Yeah, really like quacks like a Bitcoiner, walks like a Bitcoiner. You can also see this on the usage side. So of the top six finance apps in El Salvador, all of them are Bitcoin apps. PayPal is number seven. El Salvador's largest bank is number eight. <laughs> so it appears making Bitcoin legal tender actually does increase adoption. Who would have guessed? El Salvador going bankless. So that's pretty cool. All right, guys, we will be back with some of the takes of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Balancer is a powerful platform for flexible automated market makers. 
Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indices, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect the fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fee based on market conditions, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we use a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. Balancer V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool using Balancer's asset managers. Balancer's vault architecture lets you trade between Balancer pools at a fraction of the cost versus trading on other platforms. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the balancer pools at app.balancer.fi. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their earn program where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. The first is from Jack Butcher. He talks about Web 3D. That's what we're in. Web 1D is all about just information, those base protocols. Web 2D is information plus people social network layer of things. Web 3D, we have information, people, and money. I think that's a great take. I think that's exactly what's happening. Uh, crypto is just the next, uh, <laughs> the next revolution of the web. It's the next iteration of the web. It adds a money layer to the web. It adds digital scarcity layer to the web. I think he absolutely nails it. That's why I'm more comfortable calling this Web 3. You know, I feel like two, two years ago, David, Web 3 was like this nebulous, I don't know, are we going to decentralize Twitter? Are we going to decentralize right. Uber? I don't know. And they called that Web3. And I gravitated away from that term for what we're doing now. But now we understand it's all about digital scarcity. We understand it's all about capital assets. We understand it's all about money. And I like the framing of Web3. This is the third iteration of the web. Yeah. The only corollary I would add to this is that Web3 means that information people and money are going on to Web3 platforms, right? Like the whole people, that's the identity layer of Ethereum. We're not using Web2 to establish people. We're using new identity tools to establish people. Yeah, that's, that's a good take.
Um, what's Balaji talking about? He is talking about consent of the governed and self-sovereignty. What, what's his take here? Yeah, he tweeted this out less than a day ago. So this is definitely coming after the SEC Coinbase Uniswap news. Balaji says, De- decentralization restores the consent of the governed, right? And this is what we have been preaching about DeFi and being your own bank and controlling your own assets, right? Like uh, uh, the SEC, they can come knocking on Coinbase's door and tell them that if if they do offer a lending product, then they're going to sue them. But that doesn't mean that you can sue the Aave protocol or the Compound protocol or the Uniswap protocol. So as users of these things, we don't have to ask the SEC permission to make a transaction that interacts with Uniswap. And so it restores the consent of the governed, as in we, they, we don't have to ask permission to use these things. Elizabeth Warren had a take this week calling everything in crypto a shadow bank. Crypto is the new shadow bank, she said. Anthony Sassano had a counter to this. The traditional finance system is the actual shadow bank. It's the very reason we're building a new decentralized, censorship-resistant, transparent, permissionless, and global financial system. Well said, Anthony. Elizabeth Warren either needs to get educated or get out of the way. I feel like this with a lot of our members of Congress, David. They don't actually understand what they're talking about here. Sent a letter to my congressman, Mark Warner, my uh, my senator, Mark Warner, about the infrastructure bill. Uh, He replied back and said, basically, nice hearing from you. I've taken this under consideration, but I'm super concerned because Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is used by criminals and terrorists, right? Classic. That's his 2014, 2015 mindset on what we're doing in crypto, right? Meanwhile, we built a $2 trillion industry over here. The most open financial system that's accessible to everyone uh, that's ever been built. And they're just not educated. We have a lot of work to do there. The question is, do they want to get educated? And I'm not sure the answer to that question. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, you can't just call something you don't understand a shadow. Like just because you don't know what it is doesn't mean it's opaque. You just haven't learned about it yet. Yeah. Uh, She's sticking with that term shadow. I don't know. She must not know about the memes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about celebrities getting celebrities. Celebrities. This is a defense mechanism. So we got (laughs) Reith Witherspoon who (laughs) just bought her first. Uh, That was last week. I think Mm -hmm. on Friday of last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty cool. She's getting into it. Who's our next celeb? Steph Curry, just getting started in the crypto game. Y'all got any advice? Which almost got 100,000 likes, which is crazy. Mike Tyson. Tyson, Solana or Ethereum? So Mike Tyson getting into the game, trying to learn the differences between Solana and Ethereum, of which there are many. <laughs> I, I hope someone's underneath this, uh, pointing them to a bankless episode. Maybe. Oh, uh, yeah. No, we haven't. We have, oh, he's got a crypto cat as his NFT profile. Yeah, oh, he's that's, already I, in. I didn't even realize that. Wow, that's in. a pretty cool cat. So what does this mean? I think Chris Berninski summarized mm-hmm. it for us. Yeah, Chris Berninski says, major celebrities getting started in crypto is the beginning of the end and the end of the beginning. Uh, and so I think what he is saying is that like the early days of crypto, they're over. Like the Wild West, it's not so wild anymore. Like these, the crazy days of like all this like crazy rampant speculation. I mean, there's still going to be speculation. It's, it's no like, longer a weird niche yeah, off the beaten exactly, trail. Exactly. Like no, crypto is mainstream. It's bringing on mainstream people with mainstream use cases. And the celebrities getting into that uh, is indicating that the end of the beginning is upon us. That's the right way to put it. Yes. The, the, we are no longer in the beginning stages of crypto. <laughs> we're in the middle. We're in the is middle of the story now. That's going to miss that. 
like yeah. kind of that hipster thing. Yeah. Like, hey, it's a small group and we don't have to worry about right. Paris Hilton or Lindsay Lohan tweeting out some mm. stupid, you know, NFT. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you miss part of that? Yeah, but like it's also we we are currently where we've always wanted to be. And while that now comes with way more baggage than we thought, such as like the SEC being dumb, uh, I, I guess this is what we wish for. I, I, I do think actually some of these celebrities in the mainstream adoption per our earlier conversation actually provides a heat shield to some mm. of these regulatory agencies as yeah. well. So there is that side benefit. But yeah, Chris nailed it as usual. David, I'm going to ask you the question mm. we end with, which is what you're excited about. What are you excited about this week? Uh, well, what I'm excited about this week is what's happening uh, next week and the week after uh, MCON in Denver. I'm going to go to MCON, the Meta uh, Cartel uh, Convention, uh, and that's going to be a ton of fun. Going to see all, all the homies there. And then right after that, I'm going to Mazari Mainnet in New York with Chief, uh, Chief of Culture at Bankless, Michael Wong, as well as Lucas, the, the chief editor of the Bankless Newsletter, as well as a bunch of other just friends all hanging out in New York. Uh, the Pleaser Dow Doge Party uh, is happening. Uh, and so there's going to be a party which is going to be Doge-themed because Pleaser Dow owns a Doge NFT. Uh, and so I'm excited to go and do a bunch of traveling and see all the people in the different, different cities. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's like, um, you know, we couldn't do any of that in, uh, mm-hmm. in 2020, right? right? Because of COVID and now some of that's coming out again. So it's, it's great to see. And I'm glad you're going, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I can, I could just not go. Right. It's fine. <laughs> it's one of us goes. I'll see, you can just live again. So. You'll just live vicariously through me and I'll tell you all exactly. about it. <laughs> that's how it usually goes. Ryan, what are you excited about? I'm actually super excited about layer twos this mm-hmm. week, right? So layer twos are cool because I feel like this is, um, we don't have to take shortcuts. I think that a lot of high transaction throughput chains are saying, hey, hey we're less decentralized, we're more centralized, but do we really need all that decentralization right. is kind of the question. And you know, it's hard to answer that question and say, yes, there is a reason for you to pay $80 fees on Uniswap, right? When somebody can pay almost nothing on a centralized layer one. Um, but with layer two, we actually don't have to take shortcuts. And I think layer two on Ethereum is massively underrated because it's not just what we're seeing like today. This is in its infancy. It's very early years. It's what we're going to see in the future. Um, Somebody wrote a fantastic post on this actually on um, Reddit. This is uh, ETH Finance. Um, Liberost? Liberosti? Liberosist. Liberosist. Yes, thank you. It's weird Um, either way. (laughs) He goes goes through and he talks about um, layer two and he he specifically, he talks about ZK rollups. This is where I think things get really exciting. It's because with ZK rollups, um, you actually don't have to make these trade-offs between centralization and decentralization to get the high throughput, specifically okay. when we have data, sh- data sharding in layer two, right? So this is like, do you remember that episode we did with Justin Drake about uh, the magic of cryptography? Right. It's like cryptography really is the magic really that is. this entire yeah. space rests on, right? And that's where we get like, not, not just Moore's law increasing kind of every year, but like we get these massive leaps in terms of, of capability. And we do things like have large super nodes and we centralize because we haven't created better cryptography. Well, ZK um, technology and ZK rollups, that is better cryptography. And when you combine that with, you know, you know, the data sharding on Ethereum, we're going to be able to scale this this out to like as much as we need to. So 
this guy talks about, um, you know, on, on Reddit, he talks about if speculatively up to 15 million TPS by the end of the decade, if you combine various ZK rollup solutions on Ethereum. So 15 million transactions per second without the centralization trade-off. So I think now we're in the season of like, hey, gas fees are high. We need, you know, centralized layer ones. Uh, Ethereum will never scale. But um, I'm really excited about this kind of dark horse that's 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 coming up, which is ZK rollup tech uh, layer two ecosystem on Ethereum. So it's going to be exciting to see that develop, but it's also not right. going to happen overnight. Right. It's going to take like months and probably years for this to, to come to fruition, but I think it's worth waiting for. And this has always been Ethereum's commitments, right? Like uh, we as a community understand that there is like that uh, scalability trilemma. There's security, decentralization, and scalability. And Ethereum doesn't at all want to sacrifice um, uh, security or decentralization. So it chose to sacrifice scalability. But the whole gist is that we will figure out the scalability via improvements and innovation and research in cryptography. And if you find scalability on your L1 chain and you did it without cryptography, you compromise on one of the other two things. It was either you either compromise on security or you compromise on, on decentralization. The only way to make your base layer one better is through innovations in cryptography. And that is why Ethereum has been a cryptographer's developmental playground. And that's why Ethereum has always been like, oh, developers, 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 not just on the app layer, but also cryptographic researchers. Um, the way to improve your system is through cryptography. And if you're not doing it with cryptography, you've done it in a way that shoots yourself in the foot with one of these in very crucial dimensions of what makes a crypto system a crypto system. The ability to run a node at home is super important. It's probably fundamental to these systems, and this preserves that. Um, all right, David, meme of the week. Meme of the week. What Let's are we talking it. about? Meme of the week. Let's do Let it. Show you. Let me show you this one. This <laughs> okay, so th this it. is the uh, the rich bankers holding glasses of champagne, laughing their asses off meme. And politicians. And I politicians, think. yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, God, that's Reagan. I had no idea Reagan was yeah, in this one. there's Reagan. There's also uh, Bush. Bush, Bush Sr. In the yeah. background, yeah. Okay. Okay. So these are politics. These aren't bankers. These are politicians. Maybe, maybe they're the same, <laughs> same thing. Same. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll get to we'll get to the uh, the actual text, and then so all these politicians are laughing their asses off, and it says, and then we would tell them that we are protecting investors. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like th this is this is kind of how I feel about this. Is um, man, um, they're pushing all this down our throats, but under the guise of protecting us. Mm -hmm. And that's what feels that's protecting what feels me so from a vacation because I didn't get the DYDX airdrop. <laughs> I, I'm not feeling very protected this week <laughs> from all of the gains we could have made as U.S. citizens. Mm. There it goes, guys. That was the roll up. Thanks for hanging with us. Of course, none of this has been financial advice. Bitcoin, ETH are risky. So is DeFi. You could lose what you put in, but we're headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.